Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, hello, everyone. Happy Monday morning. Welcome back to Collider Dailies. I'm Perry. This is Steve. We're happy to be here talking movie news. How are you doing today, Steve? I'm doing very well. How are you? This? Uh, how was your weekend? My weekend was pretty good. I bowled. I bowled for the first time in like six years, and I bowled a 128. And I know that's not like the highest of the high scores, but it it, it accounted for like a couple spares and strikes, and I'm pretty pretty proud of myself right now. Yeah, I, I can't get that score. <laughs> Well, I, I'm I'm pretty proud, and now I might have the itch to uh, to keep bowling and honing those skills further. We will see. We will see. What did you do this weekend? Uh, what, what do you think? What my answer is going to be? Work. Of course, no. Yeah. But I did I did watch the four episodes of Gen V, uh, mm. and I watched some of Our Flag Means Death season two, and then I worked. So right. it was actually it was a productive weekend. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. Uh, shout out to MK Songbird in the live chat. Hello, my friend. All right, we're rolling into our first topic of the show. It's going to be the weekend box office. So the recap here. Exorcist Believer opened up top with $27.2 million. Then it was Paw Patrol, the mighty movie with $11.8 million. Saw uh, 10 came in at number three with $8.2 million. Then it's The Creator at number four with $6.1 million, followed by The Blind at number five with $4 million. Steve, Exorcist is in a, uh, a very curious situation right now. So we know that it costs roughly $30 million to make the movie. But the big question mark is the fact that Universal bought the rights to Exorcist to make a trilogy for $400 million. I thought it was 300, but maybe I'm wrong. $400 million. <laughs> okay. That's a lot of money. Uh, right? Yeah, I, I think that if you remember when they bought that, the, if I... I'm not mistaken the industry was in a little bit of a different place mm -hmm. and there was a lot of competition from a lot of parties that wanted to acquire the ip and based on the success of halloween 
uh, and what that did. Um, look, ultimately, Universal overpaid for the trilogy. Um, you and I enjoyed the movie. A lot of people didn't. Um, and um, it's going to run out of gas with Taylor Swift this weekend. So I don't know. I mean, it, it's... I don't know what's going to happen with Exorcist, but obviously they're going to make more. They just have to make movies that like people, I guess, love to make their money back. It's a it's a rough situation to be in, because even if you want to factor in the international box office, it's still only at 45 million total for its opening weekend, which is uh, not a whole lot compared to that price tag right there. And then on top of that. The movie's got, I think currently it's at a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it has a C Cinema score. So clearly the enthusiasm isn't behind it to the point that it would justify this full trilogy. Do you think they need to completely shift and restructure? Because clearly we're at a point where there's not enough investment in this new story, maybe this new group of characters, in order to suggest that, what what is it called? Exorcist Deceiver could be enough to up the up the amount it's going to oh, make at the box office. I mean, I, look, the, the fact of the matter is they are obviously going to make another Exorcist movie because they have the rights. Um, the real thing is that I personally didn't have a problem with it not having so many scares, but I think the average person wants to go into the theater and be scared. And I don't think the movie delivered on what people wanted. And that is one of the reasons, obviously, why... The movie had a huge problem. It, it didn't appeal. You know what I mean? And I yeah. think they're going to have to completely change it up for the next two. And yes, to say to go back to what you were saying, I think they could just do whatever they want with the next one and just drop everything they did in this movie and sort of start again. Yeah, I basically think they should do with the next movie what this movie should have been. Just get rid of the connections to the original film and just make an Exorcist movie with an exorcism in it. Like you could still call it the exorcist. So just do that again with a new set of characters, a fresh start. Hopefully you build that connection between audience and characters that people want to follow them in to another film. I think that's the only choice right now. Moving down the line, Saw, Saw 10 did pretty well. That one had a pretty uh, respectable, respectable decline of, I think it was 55%, which is, you know, it's it's a big number, but it's not half bad for a horror movie. So I do have high hopes for Saw going forward. It also didn't cost that much to make and they didn't spend $400 million on the IP. <laughs> so um, it's, it's one of those. But look, I mean, that movie's de delivering what people are looking for. I, I haven't seen it yet, but everyone I know says it's good. It's good. It's good. Yeah. It uh, it delivers on, you know, the trap type scares you would want from a Saw movie, but it also actually has a, you know, a legitimately good story that's heavily focused on Tobin Bell, who delivers a great performance in that role. And I think uh, I think that was really refreshing. One of the smartest things they did was not continue on in the timeline. They went back. This is essentially Saw 1.5, and I think that was an absolutely brilliant choice. One last box office thing I want to shout out here, because uh, I saw Dick's The Musical at TIFF, and I quite liked that movie. You saw it too. Did you like it? I didn't even ask you. Uh, I did like it. I didn't love it the way other people loved it, uh, but I did enjoy it. Well, it is doing quite well thus far, as far as specialty box office goes. It's only in uh, seven theaters this weekend, but it made $220,000, which equates to something like a, a $31,000 per theater average, which is a, a rock-solid start for that kind of release. And then on the 20th of October, it goes wide. So 
We are going to see how much love it gets uh, nationwide when that happens. But solid start right there for Dix the Musical, and I'm happy about it. I'll also say real quick that I fully support movies that, like, do things that Dix the Musical does. And uh, I welcome any sort of movie like that that doesn't fit in the status quo. So, like I said, I didn't think it was a home run the way some people loved it. But, you know, it's totally, uh, I recommend it just because it's unique and original and pretty effed up at times. Yes, and it has the, it has the sewer boys. Exactly. <laughs> I love the sewer boys so much. I can't wait for the A24 store to start selling overpriced sewer boys because I would like to buy one. All right, our next story for the day is something that came from your Q&A with Guillermo del Toro. You got a bunch of exclusives from that. We're going to talk about a couple of them, but right now we're specifically talking about Christoph Waltz being uh, cast in Guillermo del Toro's Frankenstein movie, which is very cool. I'll read the uh, the quote that Guillermo gave about that. He uh, He backed up. He talked about it broadly, too. I'm doing Frankenstein. We're working on it. We start shooting in February, and it's a movie I've been wanting to do for 50 years since I saw the first Frankenstein. I had an epiphany, and it's basically a movie that required a lot of growth and a lot of tools that I couldn't have done 10 years ago. Now I'm brave or crazy enough for something, and we're going to tackle it. It's Oscar Isaac, Andrew Garfield, Christoph Waltz, Mia Goth, and we're working on it. I love everything he says in that quote. Everything. Well, first of all, he put together a ridiculous cast. Uh, and uh, when he said it at the screening, so for people that don't know, we did a Pacific Rim 10th anniversary IMAX 3D screening. Uh, Guillermo did an hour-long Q&A with me. Uh, it was supposed to end at 45 minutes, but he kept it going, and I say thank you. Uh, but he revealed the Christoph Waltz news, which uh, is fantastic because, you know, they work together in Pinocchio. Um, it's great casting. Uh, and that cast will get people to tune in. Uh, but he also talked about, should I go into that or should I, do you want to oh, go, go for it? Um, he also talked about the star Wars movie that he was working on. Um, and I think he gave a little bit more, like, I think he basically said the title without anyone realizing it, which is the rise and fall. Oh, of Jabba yeah. the Hutt. So it was about Jabba. David S. Goyer had written the screenplay. Um, and he talked about why it didn't, you know, how it, things just fall apart. It's not his IP, not his money. Um, he didn't reveal the reason it fully fell apart. Uh, but, you know, we talked about it briefly. He talked about why he didn't do direct Pacific Rim 2. And the reason is so shocking and stupid. I just was stunned, which is that, so they had to pay for sound stages by Friday at five o'clock in Toronto at Pinewood. And he reminded the studio, you got to pay for the sound stages by five o'clock on Friday because there was another movie wanting to come in and use the sound stages. And they didn't pay for the sound stages. And then they Wild. said, well, we could just shoot in China. And then he was like, we? There's no we in this. He's like, I'm going to go make Shape of Water. And uh, that's basically the reason. If they had paid for the sound stages, he would have made Pacific Rim 2. And then mm -hmm. you wonder if Shape of Water would have ever been made or if it would have been made, you know, after. It's just, just, it's just crazy how Hollywood works. Um, and he shared tons of other stories that are, you know, why Tom Cruise, how he was supposed to be in Pacific Rim 2, how he wrote a part for Donnie Yen. Um, he shared so many crazy things. Uh, but if you want to watch the full hour-long Q&A, it's on Collider now. It's in the top of the page in the featured section, and it's great. I mean, he, he it's just a fantastic Q&A. 
He's always just one of the best of the best in interviews and Q and A. Is one thing he said in your uh, your job of the hut section that I I really appreciated. He was talking about the rise and fall of job of the hut. We were doing a lot of stuff, and then it's not my property, it's not my money, and then it's one of those thirty screenplays that goes away. So I'm bitter. Sometimes I'm not. I always turn to my team and say, "Good practice, guys." good practice. We designed a great world. What a fantastic attitude to have in an industry where you commit to projects, you work on projects, but you don't have control and sometimes they fall apart. I feel like the only way you could forge forward and really stay in this industry long term is if you're able to kind of, you know, reprocess those kinds of situations and find the positivity even in projects that fall apart. Yeah, it's just very, it's, it's just very frustrating because the concept of Guillermo making a Star Wars film about like the underworld and Jabba, it just is, it sounds so awesome. And it pains me that, <clears throat> that it's not going to happen. Yeah. I feel like there's been a pretty significant amount of planned tease Star Wars features with great filmmakers that have uh, fizzled on out. <laughs> Let's call it what it is. They announced three Star Wars movies at the last celebration. I doubt any of the three get made. I think that if you're a filmmaker, why would you want to be involved in Star Wars at this point unless it's a TV show? Because the movies don't get made. Like, it's just you're, you're going to sit there and develop for years, and it's never going to happen. <clears throat> and also, being honest, like, you can't develop three Star Wars movies at Lucasfilm about three different time periods because... The thing that we learned, <clears throat> sorry, I should have some water, but I don't. Um, the thing that we learned is that the audience wants to go on a journey in the movie theater with characters. So you can't do like this um, Ray movie and then go to this James Mangold movie and then jump to another movie. Like you need to make either the trilogy that you want to make or, you know, like you got to make that thing that you're going to do and then go to something else. So you're developing three different movies you're going to be lucky if one of them goes. I think I'm okay with the idea of, I mean, anthology isn't really the right term, but having a whole bunch of films that take place in different timelines and focus on different characters. I think what it comes down to is I just want, one, good movies, but two, and I think we're going to see this when when the strike does resolve, hopefully in the near future, but I think we're going to see less output because I do think it hit a point where there were so many things to keep up with in so many very, very popular brands that, you know, there might have been some burnout out there. And I think that when there's less things to watch and to keep up with, it's going to up the enthusiasm for the limited amount that we do get. Sure. But I, I think you're not factoring in like you and I are hardcore movie people. Star Wars fans are hardcore. A lot of Star Wars fans are hardcore. The average person in middle America is not hardcore. And they want to know when they go to see a Star Wars movie, like if it's say, and again, if it's just a, one movie, that's one thing. But if you're planning on making two or three films, you can't go from said story, from story number one to a radically different story um, on another side of the Star Wars universe, then back to the original story in movie theaters. Like, it's it's a bad idea. Like, just think of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You do one, two, three. You know, like, you, you can't... Anyway, that's my opinion. I don't think you can jump from two different stories. Uh, different. You need to stay with one. 
different time though. I feel like lately or more so more so than ever recently, a lot of franchises are falling into that trap of like really big first movie, but then their audience narrows and narrows and narrows with every new installment. And it's kind of, you know, they're they're running out of steam and they're not justifying their costs with every new movie they release. Okay, I, I hear you. But the other thing is that Star Wars is releasing a lot of content on Disney+. Plus, So you now have to figure out what are you bringing to movie theaters that's not being done on the small screen. So for me, to justify a movie, it needs to be a big story with big spectacle that has big action set pieces. And, you know, there's... I don't necessarily like... I like James Mangold a lot. I don't know if I need to see the Dawn of the Jedi in a movie theater... I mean, that almost could be a Disney Plus series. You know, the, the story of Rey and what she does with the younglings or whatever, that could be a Disney Plus series. Like, I want in a movie theater, the spectacle, the reason to spend 200 and something million dollars making it, What like making something you cannot put on Disney Plus. I think I think you can make anything at any budget range, any story for the big screen, as long as it's done well. As long as it's executed well, anything can go up there. I totally hear you, but and I know we got to move on, but the problem is that when people go to the movie theater, they want spectacle. They want the like a smaller story that if you can make a Star Wars thing for 35 million, right? Again, I would personally I would love to see it in a movie theater, but I'm saying that a lot of people want the spectacle. They want the the seeing in an IMAX. The anyway. I'll just- I'll throw out, wait I'll throw out one example for you because look at the movie Prey. That movie was made with a very limited budget. It wound up doing really well when it was released on streaming. But I do think that that movie had the potential to really soar on the big screen, both for the viewers' experience, but also box office wise too. Listen, uh, I the only reason Prey wasn't in movie theaters is, and people should know this, is the contracts. It was made as a Hulu movie. If they were to have released it in theaters, all the contracts would have had to be redone. It was tied to going to streaming on Hulu. Like, there was all these, it was contracts. And I think that if they had known how good the movie was going to be, it would have been a theatrical release. You know, it, it's one of those situations. The only reason I'm happy it's not a theatrical release is because now we can say, we have an Emmy-nominated Predator movie. That That is very, very cool. cool. Again, everything is better in a movie theater. I'm just saying, and ultimately my big thing is, if you're going to make another Star Wars movie, it you need to figure out why is it in a movie theater, and I think you need to focus on that story rather than jumping to different things. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hmm. All right, let's move into yet another big franchise that has things premiering on the big screen and also on Disney Plus as well. We're talking about the MCU and specifically the Fantastic Four update that you got from director Matt Shackman while he was busy promoting uh, Monarch Legacy of Monsters. He had told you that Fantastic Four will shoot next year in London. And right now we're just basically sitting here waiting for the big news, which is... 
the cast. Everyone is dying to know who they cast in this film. Obviously, no announcement can be made until the strike is resolved. But you want to tell us a, a little bit about what Matt teased? Sure. He told me everything. No, he didn't. Yeah, of course he did. Um, no, he said that they were going to start filming early next year at Pinewood Studios in London. Um, I could not decipher when he was talking to me whether or not they had the cast and they were waiting for the strike to be resolved to announce it or if they had some of the cast or you know what i mean like i'm not sure when the strike happened in on july 1st if they were negotiating with people you know contracts and then everything had to just be paused because of the strike or if they they have the whole cast i mean it, it's basically like anyone who knows i basically don't know i don't think anyone knows outside of marvel and matt and agents um but the way he made it sound like as soon as the strike is over, we're going to get a whole bunch of news. And something to think about that people might not realize, there's a lot of news waiting to be released mm -hmm. that, um, like, I know things, for example, that are going to get announced once the strike is over. You know, I, I, I know people who've told me things like, as soon as the strike is over, we're announcing this, you know? And so it's going to be a flood, like, two, within two weeks after the strike ends of just cool announcements and Fantastic Four is most likely going to be one of them. Uh, and the real question is, is Vanessa Kirby in the movie? Because that's the name that keeps getting tossed around for Sue Storm. I have no inside knowledge. I do not know if she's in the movie. But that's the name you keep hearing again and again. And so, who knows? I would like her to be in the movie. She's a wonderful actor, and I would love for her to take that role you make me especially excited for this period of time because not only would it be a wonderful flood of news for us to cover on Collider Daily's just movie news and, and announcement wise, but we also would get to celebrate the end of the strike and hopefully many of things working in SAG's favor. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm feeling the good vibes right now, Steve. Good things on the horizon. Uh, yeah, and I'm I'm telling you, I know some inside things that are going to get announced, and some of it is very cool. I'm not saying a effing word Just right here. For <laughs> the record, to everybody watching, not only is he not telling you any of this information, but he doesn't tell me either. Nothing. This is how I keep <laughs> secrets. You know, I'm I'm impressed you can do it. Um, just to give everybody a little a little more meat uh, meaty information about Fantastic Four. Obviously, you know Matt didn't reveal any specifics, but he did tell Steve um, it's different in so many ways. I wish I could be specific. I wish I could say more, but we are doing things very differently from a story standpoint, from an approach to the filmmaking standpoint that really fits the material. I wish I could say more. I would love to, but I can't. But I think it's going to be unlike anything you've seen before, and certainly unlike anything at Marvel that you've seen before. Steve, do you have any predictions in terms of how Fantastic Four is going to be different based on what he just described there? I wish I could say, but I have absolutely no idea. The thing I did a follow-up with him, though, on was I asked him if he's been working on, because the Fantastic Four have a lot of visual effects, mm -hmm. obviously. So I did ask him whether or not during the strike he's been working on the VFX, you know, like the test shots and whatever else. And um, the answer is yes. Also... I know that he is hard at work on FF right now because he was supposed to go to, and he told me this, he was supposed to go to New York Comic-Con because he directed the first two episodes of Monarch, the Godzilla show, which I cannot talk about yet, but soon. Um, and uh, he's no longer going because he spends every day at Marvel huh. uh, working on Fantastic Four. Because if you look at the calendar, it's the beginning of October. They're probably shooting in February or March. So, you know, and that's a guess. I don't actually know. 
Um, and so you got to figure that he's in the home stretch now of trying to figure everything out, setting up action set pieces, everything about this movie. Um, because generally a director, like I know someone who's directing something that's not announced and they're doing 18 weeks of prep in the city where they're going to shoot. So it's four and a half months of prep before you step on set to really work out so many different things. And, you know, Matt is in full prep mode. So, you know, it's probably four or five months from filming. Just something to think about. Oh, well, high hopes we get some more concrete updates soon. But this is uh, this is enough to hold me over for a little while. So thank you for getting this information, Steve. Uh, you are welcome. I and just for you. Because you uh, because you brought up uh, Comic-Con, I'll do a little shameless plug here. If anyone's going to be at New York Comic-Con this week, I highly recommend attending the Adult Swim panel on Thursday because yours truly might be moderating that one. So I hope to see you there. I hope to see you out and about at Comic-Con in general. And because of Comic-Con, you're going to see my face on the show a whole lot this week. You're going to see Steve's face a whole lot. And then also we're going to get so much coverage from John and Maggie on the ground. But you will see John and Maggie tomorrow on Collider Daily. So look forward to that. Have a good day, everyone. And we'll see oh, you actually, soon. One, oh. one, one thing. We just announced our next Collider screening. Hey. Uh, just real quick. It's Killers of the Flower Moon in IMAX. At, uh, uh, we do not have a Q&A for this one, but we are showing it the Monday night before release. So if you want to see Killers of the Flower Moon in IMAX before you can buy tickets... Uh, go to Collider, top of the page. There'll be a link. Just, you know, sign up. That is mighty tempting. I kind of want to go to that. Uh, I'm going to go over to Collider.com and look up all that information right now. And I'm going to say goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Have a wonderful rest of your Monday. And we will see you tomorrow morning with a brand new episode of Collider Dailies. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.